Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road, and our story, The House of a Thousand Candles. Today, Chapter 21, Pickering Serves Notice. The next morning, Bates placed a letter postmarked Cincinnati at my plate. I opened and read aloud to Larry. On board the Heloise, December 25th, 1901, John Glenarm, Esquire, Glenarm House, Annandale, Wabana County, Indiana. Dear Sir, I have just learned from what I believe to be a trustworthy source that you have already violated the terms of the agreement under which you entered into the residence on the property near Annandale, known as Glenarm House. The provisions of the will of John Marshall Glenarm are plain and unequivocal, as you undoubtedly understood when you accepted them, and your absence, not only from the estate itself, but from Wabana County, violates beyond question your right to inherit. I, as executor, therefore demand that you at once vacate said property, leaving it in as good condition as when received by you. Very truly yours, Arthur Bickering, executor of the estate of John Marshall Glenarm. Very truly the devils, growled Larry, snapping his cigarette case viciously. How did he find out? I asked lamely, but my heart sank like lead. Had Marion Devereux told him? How else could he know? "'Probably from the stars. "'The whole universe undoubtedly saw you skipping off to meet your lady love. "'Bah! "'These women. "'Tut! "'They don't all marry the sons of brewers,' I retorted. "'You assured me once, while your affair with that Irish girl was on, "'that the short upper lip made heaven seem possible, but unnecessary. "'Then the next thing I knew she had shaken you for the bloated masher. "'Take that for your impertinence. "'But perhaps it was Bates?' I did not wait for an answer. I was not in the mood for reflection or nice distinctions. The man came in just then with a fresh plate of toast. Bates, Mr. Pickering has learned that I was away from the house on the night of the attack, and I'm ordered off for having broken my agreement to stay here. How do you suppose he heard of it so promptly? Uh, from Morgan, quite possibly. I have a letter from Mr. Pickering myself this morning. Just a moment, sir. He placed before me a note bearing the same date as my own. It was a sharp rebuke of Bates for his failure to report my absence, and he was ordered to prepare to leave on the 1st of February. Close your accounts at the shopkeepers, and I will audit your bills on my arrival. The tone was peremptory and contemptuous. Bates had failed to satisfy Pickering and was flung off like a smoked-out cigar. How much had he allowed you for his expenses, Bates? He met my gaze imperturbably. He paid me fifty dollars a month as wages, sir, and I was allowed seventy-five for other expenses. But you didn't buy English pheasants and champagne on that allowance. He was carrying away the coffee tray, and his eyes wandered to the windows. Not quite, sir. You see... But I don't see. It had occurred to me that as Mr. Pickering's allowance wasn't what you might call generous... "'It was better to augment it. "'Well, sir, I took the liberty of advancing a trifle, "'as you might say, to the estate. "'Your grandfather would not have had you starve, sir.' "'He left hurriedly, as though to escape from the consequences of his words, "'and when I came to myself, Larry was gloomily invoking his strange Irish gods. "'Larry Donovan, I've been tempted to kill that fellow a dozen times. "'This thing is too damn complicated for me.' I wish my lamented grandfather had left me something easy. To think of it, that fellow, after my treatment of him, 
"'by cursing and abusing him since I came here. "'Great Scott, man! "'I've been enjoying his bounty. "'I've been living on his money. "'And all the time he's been trusting in me, "'just because of his dog-like devotion "'to my grandfather's memory. "'Lord, I can't face the fellow again.' "'As I've said before, you're rather lacking at times in perspicacity. "'Your intelligence is marred by large opaque spots. "'Now that there's a woman in the case, you're less sane than ever. "'Bah! These women! And now we've got to go to work. "'Bah! These women! My own heart caught the words. "'I was enraged and bitter. "'No wonder she'd been anxious for me to avoid Pickering after daring me to follow her.' We called a council of war for that night that we might view matters in the light of Pickering's letter. His assuredness in ordering me to leave made prompt and decisive action necessary on my part. I summoned Stoddard to our conference, feeling confident of his friendliness. "'Of course,' said the broad-shouldered chaplain. "'If you can show that your absence was on business of very grave importance, the courts might construe in that you had not really violated the will.' Larry looked at the ceiling and blew rings of smoke languidly. I had not disclosed to either of them the cause of my absence. On such a matter I knew that I should get precious little sympathy from Larry, and I had, moreover, a feeling that I could not discuss Marion Devereux with anyone. I even shrank from mentioning her name, though it rang like the call of bugles in my blood. She was always before me, the charm spirit of youth, linked to every foot of the earth, "'every gleam of the sun upon the ice-bound lake, "'every glory of the winter sunset. "'All the good impulses I'd ever stifled "'were quickened to life by the thought of her. "'Amid the day's perplexities, "'I started sometimes, thinking I heard her voice, "'her girlish laughter, "'or saw her again coming toward me down the stairs, "'or holding against the light her fan with its golden butterflies. "'I really knew so little of her. "'I could associate her with no home, only with that last fling of the autumn upon the lake, the snow-driven woodland, that twilight hour at the organ in the chapel, those stolen moments at the Armstrongs. I resented the pressure of the hour's affairs and chafed at the necessity for talking of my perplexities with the good friends who were there to help. I wished to be alone, to yield to the sweet mood that the thought of her brought me. The doubt that crept through my mind as to any possibility of connivance between her and Pickering was as vague and fleeting as the shadow of a swallow's wing on a sunny meadow. "'You don't intend fighting the fact of your absence, do you?' demanded Larry, after a long silence. "'Of course not,' I replied quietly. "'Pickering was right on my heels, and my absence was known to his men here, and it would not be square to my grandfather, who never harmed a flea, may his soul rest in blessed peace, to lie about it. They might nail me for perjury besides.' "'Then the quicker we get ready for the siege, the better. "'As I understand your attitude, "'you don't propose to move out "'until you've found where the treasure's hidden. "'Being a gallant gentleman and of a forgiving nature, "'you want to be sure that the lady "'who is now entitled to it "'gets all there is coming to her. "'And as you don't trust the executor "'any further than a true Irishman "'trusts a British Prime Minister's promise, "'you're going to stand by to watch the boodle counted. "'Is that a correct analysis of your intentions?' "'Yeah, that's as near any of my ideas as you're likely to get, Larry Donovan. "'And if he comes with the authorities, the sheriff, and that sort of thing, "'we must prepare for such an emergency,' interposed the chaplain. "'So much worse for the sheriff and the rest of them,' I declared. "'Spoken like a man of spirit. "'And now we'd better stock up at once. 
"'in case we should be shut off from our source of supplies. "'This is a lonely place here. "'Even the school is a remote neighbor. "'Better let Bates raid the village shops tomorrow. "'I've tried being hungry, "'and I don't care to repeat the experience.' "'And Larry reached for the tobacco jar. "'I can't imagine, I really can't believe,' "'began the chaplain, "'that Miss Devereux will want to be brought "'into this estate matter in any way. "'In fact, I've heard Sister Teresa say as much.' "'I suppose there's no way of preventing a man "'from leaving his property to a young woman "'who has no claim on him, "'who doesn't want anything from him.' "'Bah! These women! "'People don't throw legacies to the birds these days. "'Of course she'll take it.' "'Then his eyes widened and met mine "'in a gaze that reflected the mystification and wonder "'that struck both of us. "'Stoddard turned from the fire suddenly. "'What's that? "'There's someone up the stairs.' Larry was already running toward the hall, and I heard him springing up the steps like a cat, while Stoddard and I followed. "'Where's Bates?' demanded the chaplain. "'I'll thank you for the answer,' I replied. Larry stood at the top of the staircase, holding a candle at arm's length in front of him, staring about. We could hear quite distinctly someone walking on a stairway. The sounds were unmistakable, just as I had heard them on several previous occasions, without ever being able to trace their source.' The noise ceased suddenly, leaving us with no hint of its whereabouts. I went directly to the rear of the house and found Bates putting the dishes away in the pantry. "'Where have you been?' I demanded. "'Right here, sir. I've been cleaning up dinner things, Mr. Glenarm. Is there anything the matter, sir?' "'No, nothing.' I joined the others in the library. "'Why didn't you tell me this futile imitation was haunted?' "'asked Larry, in a grieved tone. "'All I needed was a cheerful ghost, "'and now I believe it lacks absolutely nothing. "'I'm increasingly glad I came. "'How often does it walk?' "'It's not on a schedule. "'Just now it's the wind in the tower, probably. "'The wind plays queer pranks up there sometimes.' "'You'll have to do better than that, Glenarm,' said Stoddard. "'It's as still outside as a country graveyard.' "'Only the schlock seeth, the people of the fairy hills.' "'The cheerfulest ghosts in the world,' said Larry. "'You literal Saxons can't grasp the idea, of course.' "'But there was substance enough in our dangers without pursuing shadows. "'Certain things were planned that night. "'We determined to exercise every precaution to prevent a surprise from without, "'and we resolved upon a new and systematic sounding of walls and floors, "'taking our clue from the efforts made by Morgan and his ally "'to find hiding places by this process. "'Pickering would undoubtedly arrive shortly.' "'and we wished to anticipate his movements as far as possible. "'We resolved, too, upon a day patrol of the grounds and a night guard. "'The suggestion came, I believe, from Stoddard, "'whose interest in my affairs was only equaled by the fertility of his suggestions. "'One of us should remain abroad at night, "'ready to sound the alarm in case of attack. "'Bates should take his turn with the rest. "'Stoddard insisted on it. "'Within two days we were, as Larry expressed it, on a war footing.' We added a couple of shotguns and several revolvers to my own arsenal, and piled the library table with cartridge boxes. Bates, acting as quartermaster, brought a couple of wagon loads of provisions. Stoddard assembled a remarkable collection of heavy sticks. He had more confidence in them, he said, than in gunpowder, and moreover, he explained, a priest might not with propriety bear arms. It was a cheerful company of conspirators that now gathered around the big hearth. Larry, always restless, preferred to stand at one side, an elbow on the mantel shelf, pipe in mouth, and Stoddard sought the biggest chair, 
and filled it. He and Larry understood each other at once, and Larry's stories, ranging in subject from undergraduate experiences at Dublin to adventures in Africa and always including endless conflicts with the Irish constabulary, delighted the big boyish clergyman. Often at someone's suggestion of a new idea, we ran off to explore the house again in search of the key to the Glenarm riddle, and always we came back to the library with that riddle still unsolved. We'll return to Chapter 22 right after this sponsor message. And now back to the House of a Thousand Candles. Chapter 22, The Return of Marion Devereux. Sister Teresa has left, sir. Bates had been into Annandale to mail some letters, and I was staring out upon the park from the library windows when he entered. Stoddard, having kept watch the night before, was at home asleep, and Larry was off somewhere in the house, treasure hunting. I was feeling decidedly discouraged over our failure to make any progress with our investigations, and Bates's news did not interest me. "'Well, what of it?' I demanded, without turning round. "'Nothing, sir, but Miss Deborah has come back.' "'The devil!' I turned and took a step toward the door. "'I said Miss Devereux,' he repeated, in dignified rebuke. "'She came up this morning, and the sister left at once for Chicago. "'Sister Teresa depends particularly upon Miss Devereux, so I have heard, sir. "'Miss Devereux quite takes charge when the sister goes away. "'A few of the students are staying in school throughout the holidays.' "'You seem full of information,' I remarked, taking another step toward my hat and coat. "'And I've learned something else, sir.' "'Well, they all came together, sir. "'Who came, if you please, Bates? "'Why, the people who've been traveling with Mr. Pickering came back with him, "'and Miss Devereux came with them from Cincinnati. "'That's what I learned in the village. "'And Mr. Pickering is going to stay.' "'Pickering? Stay?' "'At his cottage on the lake for a while. "'The reason is that he's worn out with his work and wishes quiet.' "'The other people went back to New York in the car. "'He opened a summer cottage in midwinter, has he? "'I had been blue enough without this news. "'Marion Devereux had come back to Annandale with Arthur Pickering. "'My faith in her snapped like a reed at this astounding news. "'She was now entitled to my grandfather's property, "'and she had lost no time in returning "'as soon as she and Pickering had discussed together "'at the Armstrongs my flight from Annandale.' Her return could have no other meaning than that there was a strong tie between them, and he was now to stay on the ground until I should be dispossessed and her rights established. She had led me to follow her, and my forfeiture had been sealed by that stolen interview at the Armstrongs. It was a black record, and the thought of it angered me against myself and the world. "'Tell Mr. Donovan that I've gone to St. Agatha's,' I said, and I was soon striding toward the school." A sister admitted me. I heard the sound of a piano somewhere in the building, and I consigned the inventor of pianos to hideous torment as scales were pursued endlessly up and down the keys. Two girls passing through the hall made a pretext of looking for a book and came in and exclaimed over their inability to find it with much suppressed giggling. The piano pounding continued, and I waited for what seemed an interminable time. It was growing dark, and a maid lighted the oil lamps. I took a book from the table. It was The Life of Benvenuto Cellini, and Marion Devereux was written on the flyleaf 
by unmistakably the same hand that penned the apology for Olivia's performances. I saw in the clear flowing lines of the signature, in their lack of superfluity, her own ease, grace, and charm, and in the deeper stroke with which the X was crossed, I felt a challenge, a readiness to abide by consequences once her word was given. Then my own inclination to think well of her angered me. It was only a pretty bit of chirography, and I dropped the book impatiently when I heard her step on the threshold. "'I am sorry to have kept you waiting, Mr. Glenarm, but this is my busy hour. I shall not detain you long. I came—I hesitated, not knowing why I had come.' She took a chair near the open door and bent forward with an air of attention that was disquieting. She wore black, perhaps to fit the better into the house of the somber sisterhood. I seemed suddenly to remember her from a time long gone, and the effort of memory threw me off guard. Stoddard had said there were several Olivia Armstrongs. There were certainly many Marion Devereaux's. The silence grew intolerable. She was waiting for me to speak, and I blurted. I suppose you come to take charge of the property. Do you? She asked. And you came back with the executor to facilitate matters. I'm glad to see that you lose no time. Oh? She said, lingeringly, as though she were finding with difficulty the note in which I wished to pitch the conversation. Her calmness was maddening. I suppose you thought it unwise to wait for the bluebird when you had beguiled me into breaking a promise, when I was trapped, defeated. Her elbow on the arm of the chair, her hand resting against her check, the light rippling goldenly in her hair, her eyes bent upon me inquiringly, mournfully, as I had seen them. Where? Once before. My heart leaped in that moment, with that thought. I remember now the first time, I exclaimed, more angry than I had ever been before in my life. That is quite remarkable, she said, and nodded her head ironically. It was at Sherry's. You were with Pickering. "'You dropped your fan, and he picked it up, "'and you turned toward me for a moment. "'You were in black that night, "'as it was the unhappiness in your face, "'in your eyes, that made me remember. "'I was intent upon the recollection, "'eager to fix it and establish it. "'You are quite right. "'It was at Sherry's. "'I was wearing black then. "'Many things made me unhappy that night.' "'Her forehead contracted slightly, "'and she pressed her lips together.' "'I suppose that even then the conspiracy was thoroughly arranged,' I said, tauntingly, laughing a little, perhaps, and wishing to wound her, to take vengeance upon her. She rose and stood by her chair, one hand resting upon it. I faced her. Her eyes were like violet seas. She spoke very quietly. "'Mr. Glenarm, has it occurred to you that when I talked to you there in the park—' "'when I risked unpleasant gossip in receiving you "'in a house where you had no possible right to be, "'that I was counting upon something, "'foolishly and stupidly, yet counting upon it?' "'You probably thought I was a fool,' I retorted. "'No,' she smiled slightly. "'I thought, I believe I've said this to you before, "'you were a gentleman. "'I really did, Mr. Glenarm.' I must say it to justify myself. I relied upon your chivalry. I even thought, when I played being Olivia, that you had a sense of honor. But you are not the one, and you haven't the other. 
I even went so far, after you knew perfectly well who I was, as to try to help you, to give you another chance to prove yourself the man your grandfather wished you to be. And now you come to me in a shocking bad humor. I really think you would like to be insulting Mr. Glenarm, if you could. But Pickering, you came back with him. He is here, and he's going to stay. And now that the property belongs to you, there's not the slightest reason why we should make any pretense of anything but enmity. When you and Arthur Pickering stand together, I take the other side of the barricade. I suppose chivalry would require me to vacate, so that you may enjoy at once the spoils of war? I fancy it would not be very difficult to eliminate you as a factor in the situation, she remarked, icily. And I suppose, after the unsuccessful efforts of Mr. Pickering's allies to assassinate me, as a mild form of elimination, one would naturally expect me to sit calmly down and wait to be shot in the back. But you may tell Mr. Pickering that I throw myself upon your mercy. I have no other home than this shell over the way, and I beg to be allowed to remain until, at least, the bluebirds come. I hope it will not embarrass you to deliver that message. I quite sympathize with your reluctance to deliver it yourself, she said. Is this all you came to say? I came to tell you that you could have the house and everything in its hideous walls, I snapped, to tell you that my chivalry is enough for some situations that I don't intend to fight a woman. I had accepted your own renouncement of the legacy in good part, but now, please believe me, it shall be yours tomorrow. I'll yield possession to you whenever you ask it, but never to Arthur Pickering. As against him and his treasure hunters and assassins, I will hold out for a dozen years." "'Nobly spoken, Mr. Glenarm. "'Yours is really an admirable, though somewhat complex, character.' "'My character is my own, whatever it is,' I blurted. "'I shouldn't call that a debatable proposition,' she replied, "'and I was angry to find how the mirth I'd loved in her "'could suddenly become so hateful. "'She half turned away so that I might not see her face. "'The thought that she should countenance Pickering in any way "'tore me with jealous rage.' "'Mr. Glenarm, you are what I have heard called a quitter, "'defined in common Americanese as one who quits. "'Your blustering here this afternoon "'can hardly conceal the fact of your failure, "'your inability to keep a promise. "'I had hoped you would really be of some help to Sister Teresa. "'You quite deceived her. "'She told me as she left today that she thought well of you. "'She really felt that her fortunes were safe in your hands. "'But, of course,' "'That's all a matter of past history now.' "'Her tone, changing from cold indifference "'to the most severe disdain, "'stung me into self-pity for my stupidity "'in having sought her. "'My anger was not against her, "'but against Pickering, who had, "'I persuaded myself, "'always blocked my path. "'She went on. "'You really amuse me exceedingly. "'Mr. Pickering is decidedly more than a match for you, "'Mr. Glenarm, even in humor.' She left me so quickly, so softly, that I stood staring like a fool at the spot where she had been, and then I went gloomily back to Glenarm House, angry, ashamed, and crestfallen. While we were waiting for dinner, I made a clean breast of my acquaintance with her to Larry, omitting nothing, rejoicing even to paint my own conduct as black as possible. You may remember her, I concluded. She was the girl we saw at Sherry's that night we dined there. She was with Pickering, and you noticed her. "'spoke of her, 
as she went out. "'That little girl who seemed so bored or tired. "'Bless me! "'Why, her eyes haunted me for days. "'Lord, man, do you mean to say—' "'A look of utter scorn came into his face, "'and he eyed me contemptuously. "'Of course I mean it!' "'I thundered at him. "'He took the pipe from his mouth, "'pressed the tobacco viciously into the bowl, "'and swore steadily in Gaelic "'until I was ready to choke him. "'Stop!' I bawled. "'Do you think that's helping me? "'And to have you curse in your black-guardedly Irish dialect? "'I wanted a little Anglo-Saxon sympathy, you fool. "'I didn't mean for you to invoke your infamous gods against a girl. "'Don't be violent, lad. "'Violence is reprehensible.' "'he admonished with maddening sweetness and patience. "'What I was trying to inculcate was rather the fact, "'borne in upon me through years of acquaintance, "'that you are, to be bold, my lad, to be bold, "'a good deal of a damned fool.' A "'Dinner is served,' announced Bates, "'and Larry led the way, mockingly chanting an Irish love song. "'We'll return to Chapter 23, right after this sponsor message.' And now, Chapter 23, The Door of Bewilderment. We had established the practice of barring all the gates and doors at nightfall. There was no way of guarding against an attack from the lake, whose frozen surface increased the danger from without. But we counted on our night patrol to prevent a surprise from that quarter. I was well aware that I must prepare to resist the militant arm of the law, which Pickering would no doubt invoke to aid him. But I intended to exhaust the possibilities in searching for the lost treasure before I yielded. Pickering might, if he would, transfer the estate of John Marshall Glenarm to Marion Devereux, and make the most he could of that service. But he should not drive me forth until I had satisfied myself of the exact character of my grandfather's fortune. If it had vanished, if Pickering had stolen it, and outwitted me in making off with it, that was another matter. The phrase, the door of bewilderment, had never ceased to reiterate itself in my mind. We discussed a thousand explanations of it as we pondered over the scrap of paper I had found in the library, and every book in the house was examined in the search for further clues. The passage between the house and the chapel seemed to fascinate Larry. He held that it must have some particular use, and he devoted his time to exploring it. He came up at noon. It was the 29th of December, with grimy face and hands and a grin on his face. I had spent my morning in the towers, where it was beastly cold, to no purpose, and was not in the mood for the ready acceptance of new theories. "'I have found something,' he said, filling his pipe. "'Not soap, evidently. "'No, but I'm going to say the last word on the tunnel, and within an hour. "'Give me a glass of beer and a piece of bread, "'and we'll go back and see whether we're sold again or not. "'Let us explore the idea and be done with it. "'Wait till I tell Stoddard where we're going.' The chaplain was trying the second-floor walls, and I asked him to eat some luncheon and stand guard while Larry and I went to the tunnel. We took with us an iron bar, an axe, and a couple of hammers. Larry went ahead with a lantern. "'You see,' he explained, as we dropped through the trap into the passage, "'I've tried a compass on this tunnel, and find that we've been working on the wrong theory. The passage itself runs a straight line from the house under the gate to the crypt. The ravine is a rough crescent-shape.' and for a short distance the tunnel touches it. How deep does that ravine average? About thirty feet? Yes, it's shallowest where the house stands. It drops sharply from there onto the lake. Very good. 
"'but the ravine is all on the Glenarm side of the wall, isn't it? "'Now when we get under the wall, I'll show you something.' "'Here we are,' said Larry, "'as the cold air blew in through the hollow posts. "'Now we're pretty near that sharp curve of the ravine "'that dips from the wall. "'Take the lantern while I get out the compass. "'What do you think that C on the piece of paper means? "'Why, chapel, of course. "'I've measured the distance from the house.' "'the point of departure, we may assume, to the chapel, "'and three-fourths of it brings us under those beautiful posts. "'The directions are as plain as daylight. "'The passage itself is your N.W., as the compass proves, "'and the ravine cuts close in there. "'Therefore, our business is to explore the wall on the ravine side. "'Good, but this is just wall here, "'earth with a layer of brick and thin coat of cement.' "'A nice job it must have been to do the work. "'And it cost the piece of a tiger hunt,' I grumbled. "'Take heart, lad, and listen.' "'And Larry began pounding the wall with a hammer, "'exactly under the north gate post. "'We had sounded everything in and about the house "'until the process bored me. "'Hurry up and get through with it,' I jerked impatiently, "'holding the lantern at the level of his head. "'It was sharply cold under the post, "'and I was anxious to prove the worthlessness of, of his idea.' "'and be done. "'Thump, thump. "'Thump, thump. "'There's a place here that sounds a trifle off the key. "'You try it.' "'I snatched the hammer and repeated his soundings. "'Thump. "'Thump. "'There was a space about four feet square in the wall "'that certainly gave forth a hollow sound. "'Stand back!' exclaimed Larry eagerly. "'Here goes with the axe.' He struck into the wall sharply, and the cement chipped off in rough pieces, disclosing the brick beneath. Larry paused when he had uncovered a foot of the inner layer and examined the surface. They're loose. These bricks are loose, and there's something besides earth behind them. I snatched the hammer and drove hard at the wall. The bricks were set up without mortar, and I plucked them out and rapped with my knuckles on a wooden surface. Even Larry grew excited as we flung out the bricks. Ah, lad! "'he said. "'The old gentleman had a way with him. "'He had a way with him. "'Yow!' "'A brick had dropped on his foot, "'and he howled in pain. "'Bless the old gentleman's heart. "'He made it as easy for us as he could. "'Now for the Glenarm millions. "'Red money all piled up for the ease of counting it. "'A thousand pounds in every pile. "'Don't be a fool, Larry.' "'I coughed at him, "'for the brick dust and the smoke of Larry's pipe "'made breathing difficult.' "'That's all the loose brick. Bring the lantern closer.' And we peered through the aperture upon a wooden door in which strips of iron were deep-set. It was fastened with a padlock, and Larry reached down for the axe. "'Wait!' I called, drawing closer with the lantern. "'What's this?' The word of the door was fresh and white, but burned deep on the surface, in this order, were the words, "'The Door of Bewilderment.' "'There are dead men inside, I dare say. Hear me, lad!' "'It's not for me to turn loose the family's skeletons.' "'And Larry stood aside while I swung the axe "'and brought it down with a crash on the padlock. "'It was of no flimsy stuff, "'and the remaining bricks cramped me, "'but half a dozen blows broke it off. "'A house of a thousand ghosts,' "'chanted the irrepressible Larry "'as I pushed the door open and crawled through. "'Whatever the place was, it had a floor, "'and I set my feet firmly upon it "'and turned to take the lantern. "'Hold a bit,' he exclaimed. "'Someone's coming.' "'and bending toward the opening, "'I heard the sound of steps down the corridor. "'In a moment Bates ran up, 
"'calling my name with more spirit "'than I imagined possible in him. "'What is it?' I demanded, "'crawling out into the tunnel. "'It's Mr. Pickering. "'The sheriff has come with him, sir.' "'As he spoke, his glance fell upon the broken wall "'and open door. "'The light of Larry's lantern struck full upon him. "'Amazement, and, I thought, a certain satisfaction, "'was marked upon his countenance. "'Run along, Jack. "'I'll be up a little later,' said Larry. "'If the fellow has come in daylight with the sheriff, "'he isn't dangerous. "'It's his friends that shoot in the dark that give us the trouble.' "'I crawled out and stood upright. "'Bates, staring at the opening, seemed reluctant to leave the spot.' "'You seem to have found it, sir,' he said. "'I thought a little chokingly. "'His interest in the matter nettled me, "'for my first business was to go above "'for an interview with the executor, "'and the value of our discovery was secondary. "'Of course we found it,' I ejaculated, "'brushing the dust from my clothes. "'Is Mr. Stoddard in the library?' "'Oh, yes, sir. "'I left him entertaining the gentleman.' "'Their visit is certainly most inopportune,' said Larry. "'Give them my compliments and tell them I'll be up "'as soon as I've articulated the bones of my friend's ancestors.' "'Bates strode on ahead of me with his lantern, "'and I left Larry crawling to the new-found door "'as I hurried toward the house. "'I knew him well enough to be sure he would not leave the spot "'until he had found what lay behind the door of bewilderment. "'You didn't tell the callers where you expected to find me, did you?' "'I asked Bates, as he brushed me off in the kitchen. Uh, "'No, sir. Mr. Stoddard received the gentleman.' "'He rang the bell for me, and when I went into the library, he was saying, "'Mr. Glenarm is at his studies, Bates,' he says. "'Kindly tell Glenarm that I'm sorry to interrupt him, but won't he please come down? "'I thought it rather neat, sir, considering his clerical office. "'I knew you were below somewhere, sir. "'The trap door was open, and I found you easily enough.' "'Bates's eyes were brighter than I'd ever seen them. A certain buoyant note gave an entirely new tone to his voice. He walked ahead of me to the library door, threw it open, and stood aside. "'Here you are, Glenarm,' said Stoddard. Pickering and a stranger stood near the fireplace in their overcoats. Pickering advanced and offered his hand, but I turned away from him without taking it. His companion, a burly countryman, stood staring, a paper in his hand. "'The sheriff,' Pickering explained, "'and our business is rather personal.' "'He glanced at Stoddard, who looked at me. "'Mr. Stoddard will do me the kindness to remain,' I said, "'and took my stand beside the chaplain. "'Oh?' Pickering ejaculated, scornfully. "'I didn't understand that you'd established relations with the neighboring clergy. "'Your taste is improving, Glenarm.' "'Mr. Glenarm is a friend of mine,' remarked Stoddard, quietly. "'A very particular friend,' he added. Oh, I congratulate you, both. I laughed. Pickering was surveying the room as he spoke, and Stoddard suddenly stepped toward him, merely, I think, to draw up a chair for the sheriff. But Pickering, not hearing Stoddard's step on the soft rug until the clergyman was close beside him, started, perceptibly, and reddened. It was certainly ludicrous, and when Stoddard faced me again, he was biting his lip. Pardon me, he murmured. "'Now, gentlemen, will you kindly state your business? "'My own affairs press me.' "'Pickering was studying the cartridge boxes on the library table. "'The sheriff, too, is viewing these effects with interest, "'not, I think, unmixed with awe. "'Glenarm, I don't like to invoke the law to eject you from this property, "'but I'm left with no alternative. "'I can't stay out here indefinitely, 
"'and I want to know what I'm to expect.' "'That's a fair question,' I replied. "'If it were merely a matter of following the terms of the will, "'I shouldn't hesitate or be here now. "'But it isn't the will or my grandfather that keeps me. "'It's the determination to give you all the annoyance possible, "'to make it hard and mighty hard for you to get hold of this house "'until I found out why you are so much interested in it. "'You always had a grand way in money matters. "'As I told you before you came out here, "'It's a poor stake. "'The assets consist wholly of this land and this house, "'whose quality you've had an excellent opportunity to test. "'You have doubtless heard that the country people "'believe there is money concealed here. "'But I dare say you've exhausted the possibilities. "'This is not the first time a rich man has died "'leaving precious little behind him. "'You seem very anxious to get possession of a property "'that you call a poor stake,' I said. "'A few acres of land?' "'a half-finished house, and an uncertain claim upon a school-teacher? "'I had no idea you would understand it,' he replied. "'The fact that a man may be under oath to perform the solemn duties imposed upon him by the law "'would hardly appeal to you. "'But I haven't come here to debate that question. "'When are you going to leave?' "'Not till I'm ready. Thanks.' "'Mr. Sheriff, will you serve your writ?' he said and I looked to Stoddard for any hint from him as to what I should do. "'I believe Mr. Glenarm is quite willing to hear whatever the sheriff has to say to him,' said Stoddard. He stepped nearer to me, as though to emphasize the fact that he belonged to my side of the controversy, and the sheriff read an order of the Wabana County Circuit Court directing me, immediately, to deliver the house and grounds into the keeping of the executor of the will of the estate of John Marshall Glenarm. The sheriff rather enjoyed holding the center of the stage, and I listened quietly to the unfamiliar phraseology. Before he had quite finished, I heard a step in the hall, and Larry appeared at the door, pipe in mouth. Pickering turned toward him, frowning, but Larry paid not the slightest attention to the executor, leaning against the door with his usual tranquil unconcern. "'I advise you not to trifle with the law, Glenarm,' said Pickering, angrily. "'You have absolutely no right, whatever, to be here. "'And these other gentlemen, your guests, I suppose, "'are equally trespassers under the law.' "'He stared at Larry, who crossed his legs for greater ease "'and adjusting his lean frame to the door. "'Well, Mr. Pickering, what is the next step?' "'asked the sheriff, with an importance that had been increased "'by the legal phrases he'd been reading. "'Mr. Pickering,' said Larry, "'straightening up and taking the pipe from his mouth. "'I'm Mr. Glenarm's counsel. "'If you would do me the kindness to ask the sheriff to retire for a moment, "'I should like to say a few words that you might prefer to keep between ourselves.' "'I had usually found it wise to take any cue Larry threw me, and I said, "'Pickering, this is Mr. Donovan, who has every authority to act for me in the matter.' "'Pickering looked impatiently from one to the other of us.' "'You seem to have the guns, the ammunition, and the numbers on your side,' he observed, dryly. "'The sheriff may wait within call,' said Larry, and at a word from Pickering, the sheriff left the room. "'Now, Mr. Pickering,' Larry spoke slowly, "'as my friend has explained the case to me, the assets of his grandfather's estate are all accounted for. The land hereabouts, this house, the ten thousand dollars in securities,' and a somewhat vague claim against a lady known as Sister Teresa, 
who conducts St. Agatha's school. Is that correct? I don't ask you to take my word for it, sir, rejoined Pickering hotly. I have filed an inventory of the estate, so far as found, with the proper authorities. Certainly, but I merely wish to be sure of my facts for the purpose of this interview, to save me the trouble of getting to the records. And moreover, I am somewhat unfamiliar with your procedure in this country. I am a member, sir, of the Irish Bar. Pardon me, but I repeat my question. I have made my oath. That, I trust, is sufficient, even for a member of the Irish Bar. Quite so, Mr. Pickering, said Larry, nodding his head gravely. He was not, to be sure, a presentable member of any bar, for a smudge detracted considerably from the appearance of one side of his face. His clothes were rumpled and covered with black dust, and his hands were black. But I'd rarely seen him so calm. He recrossed his legs, peered into the bowl of his pipe for a moment, then asked as quietly as though he were soliciting an opinion of what the weather was like today. "'Will you tell me, Mr. Pickering, whether you yourself are a debtor of John Marshall Glenarm's estate?' Pickering's face grew white, and his eyes stared, and when he tried suddenly to speak, his jaw twitched. The room was so still that the breaking of a blazing log on the andirons was a pleasant relief. We stood, the three of us, with our eyes on Pickering, and in my own case I must say that my heart was pounding my ribs at an uncomfortable speed, for I knew Larry was not sparring for time. The blood rushed into Pickering's face, and he turned toward Larry stormily. "'This is unwarrantable and infamous. "'My relations with Mr. Glenarm are none of your business. "'When you remember that after being deserted by his own flesh and blood, "'he appealed to me, "'going so far as to entrust all his affairs to my care at his death, "'your reflection is an outrageous insult. "'I am not accountable to you or to anyone else.' "'Really, there's a good deal in all that,' said Larry. We don't pretend to any judicial functions. We are perfectly willing to submit the whole business and all my clients' acts to the authorities. I would give much if I could reproduce some hint of the beauty of that word authorities as it rolled from Larry's tongue. Then in God's name, do it, you blackguards, roared Pickering. Stoddard, sitting on a table, knocked his heels together gently. Larry recrossed his legs and blew a cloud of smoke. Then, after a quarter of a minute in which he gazed at the ceiling with his quiet blue eyes, he said, "'Yes, certainly, there are always the authorities, and as I have tremendous respect for your American institutions, I shall at once act on your suggestion. Mr. Pickering, the estate is richer than you thought it was. It holds, or will hold, your notes given to the decedent for three hundred and twenty thousand dollars.' He drew from his pocket a brown envelope, walked to where I stood, and placed it in my hands. At the same time, Stoddard's big figure grew active, and before I realized that Pickering had leaped toward the packet, the executor was sitting back in a chair where the chaplain had thrown him. He rallied promptly, stuffing his necktie into his waistcoat. He even laughed a little. "'So much old paper. You gentlemen are perfectly welcome to it.' "'Thank you,' said Larry." "'Mr. Glenarm and I had many transactions together, "'and he must have forgotten to destroy those papers.' "'Quite likely,' I remarked. "'It's interesting to know that Sister Teresa "'wasn't his only debtor.' 
Pickering stepped to the door and called the sheriff. "'I shall give you until tomorrow morning at nine o'clock to vacate the premises. The court understands this situation perfectly. These claims are utterly worthless, as I am ready to prove.' "'Perfectly,' repeated the sheriff. "'I believe that is all,' said Larry, pointing to the door with his pipe. The sheriff was regarding him with particular attention. "'What did I understand your name to be?' "'He demanded. "'Lawrence Donovan,' Larry replied coolly. "'Pickering seemed to notice the name now, "'and his eyes lighted disagreeably. "'I think I've heard of your friend before,' he said, turning to me. "'I congratulate you on the international reputation of your counsel. "'He's esteemed so highly in Ireland "'that they offer a large reward for his return. "'Sheriff, I think we've finished our business for today.' He seemed anxious to get the man away, and we gave them escort to the outer gate where a horse and buggy were waiting. "'Now I'm in for it,' said Larry, as I locked the gate. "'We spiked one of his guns, but I've given him a new one to use against myself. But come, and I'll show you the door of bewilderment before I skip.'" Thank you for joining us, everyone, as the story gets better and better as we go through. Please join us next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Chapter 24, A Prowler of the Night. We have a couple of new reviews I wanted to share with you. This one, I Am Addicted, five stars. I started listening to this podcast recently and I've gotten completely hooked on The House of a Thousand Candles. I have binge listened to it and I'm at the last episode and just dying for the next Sunday's episode to come out. I do a lot of cooking and baking and listening to this while I bake allows me to do two things I love at once. Keep it up, please. It's a small but amazingly wonderful distraction to offset the concerning events that are forefront on the news these days. Down from CB 2018, Apple Podcast, Canada. And this one, great storytelling, five stars. Thanks for this great podcast. These are fun adventures, extremely well read by the excellent narrator. Down from Missing 61, Apple Podcast, Canada. And this one, great podcast, love the readings, five stars. I stumbled upon this podcast and listened to part one of the Washington Spies episode because I love the show Turn. I've now listened to Treasure Island, King Solomon's Mines, both of which I've never read, Tarzan, which I have read but love, and The Hound of the Baskervilles, which I also love. These readings are so well done. My kids will be listening to this too. Great job. Can't wait to hear more. Down from Jason Vanek, Apple Podcast, Canada. Thanks to all of you for your kind reviews, for taking the time to sit down and send us a thanks. We appreciate that so very much. And it helps us get new listeners. You're all great fans. We love having you with us. It keeps me going. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Everyone, stay safe. And we'll see you then.